right. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and we're going to look together, uh, beginning in verse number 18, uh, to gain a context here together of, of um, kind of the message of uh, what the writer Paul is giving to us. The Word of God says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'll read that verse again. I want you to think about these words. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Uh, Paul is writing in this passage as he's speaking to the Corinthians. Really, he's speaking in, in, in terms of faith and in the context as we'll look together at what this chapter, and at least a good portion of this chapter in the message which he uh, has for the, the Christians here, but he's really essentially saying, and all that the world is around me, when I look at what's around me in this world, when I look at my life, when I look at the circumstances, when I look at the things which I don't understand, when I look at the, the, uh, the life that God has given to me and the will that he has for my life, he says, I look through it as Jesus would look at it. I look through it through the eyes of Jesus, essentially. I've entitled the message this evening, Seeing the World Through the Eyes of Jesus. Seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus. When you look at your life, when you look at the world, when you look at uh, the things that are around you, do you look at it as though Jesus would look at it? You know, when Jesus would look at things, he would look at them completely different than we would look at them. Unfortunately, and as a result of sin, when we look at things, the, the temptations that are before us uh, and, and looking at things is what produce um, the desires of lust um, and pride and, um, and, and other things of that sort. But yet when Jesus would look at things, he'd look at them through eyes of love. He'd look at them through eyes of care. And he'd look at even the difficult circumstances as with a God the Father being all and in control. And so uh, we're talking tonight about when you see the world through the eyes of Christ, what will happen? Number one, you will see uh, the, uh, the, the abiding of his gospel. You will see the abiding of his gospel. You say, what do you mean? Look with me together at verse number six. Uh, in, in verse number one through five, he's already spoken of the gospel. In fact, um, uh, he's speaking of how we're not speaking in dishonesty of the gospel. We're speaking in genuineness of it. In verse 3, he said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So he's speaking of the emphasis of the gospel being needed to be brought out. But in verse 6, he says this, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined where? In our hearts. To give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, the abiding of God's gospel abides and resides in you and I. That's why chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians talks about us being that epistle of Jesus Christ. We are to be walking, talking, living epistles. And yet, he broadens more on just, uh, rather than just saying gospel, 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 he's, he's describing now more specifically that if you look at the world of things that are temporal, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you understand the spiritual side of things, if you understand the unseen things that by faith when believed are possible and are real and are true, when you look at the world and you look at things of life through the eyes of Christ, 
You look at all of life differently. And it affects the whole way in which you approach it. And so he begins really the context of having spoken of the gospel. He says, understand that the gospel is inside of you. Notice he says at the end of verse 7, the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That excellency of the power in its literal meaning means unmeasurable. You can't, you can't take a tent measure and say, how big is it? How large is it? Or what size is it? Uh, the, the power of God that is the gospel itself, which is inside of you and I as Christian believers, is, is so powerful, you can, it's without measure. It's so powerful, if you were to compare it to any ammunition or any um, large equipment of any kind, it, would, it is so powerful that it has a super, supernatural effect. Uh, and this is the idea of what she's trying to bring to us. He says in verse number six, uh, God who had commanded the light to shine out of darkness. We know God is a God of light, amen? I'm thankful for light. Uh, I like it when in, in my house anyway, I like to get a good bright light bulb to fill up the room. But none of these yellow bulbs that you know feel like you're um, putting a mood setting or something like that, putting you to sleep. I mean, the Bible says we're children of light, amen? And so brightness is healthy. Brightness is Christ-like. And so the, the description of which is being given is we are the light. Uh, as Christ is the light, we are to be, as Christ also, a light to this world and within this world, within a dark world. And how do we do that? The Bible says, verse 7, we have this treasure. That is the treasure of the gospel, the treasure, the light itself. We have this treasure in where? What does the word of God say in verse 7? In earthen vessels. Those earthen vessels are speaking of our body. That uh, in other passage of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. It is the place at which and where Christ resides, which and where because of the power of the gospel, Christ now lives. The Bible says we are nothing but earthen vessels. You see, this is where God's gospel, this is where the goodness of Christ, it abides. It abides in you and I. And when we see the world through the eyes of Christ, we see the world through the eyes of Jesus, we will then look at, catch this, our bodies, our lives differently. Because God did not give you and I our lives and our bodies just to simply live life. Not to just work to make a living, not to just get married and have a family, uh, not to just live life to its fullest. But yet God has given us our life in order, and we'll see this together, in order to bring him honor and glory, in order then also for us to be instruments in his hands to let others know about Christ. Hey, let me just back up for a quick second and remind you what it means for Christ to abide in you. We're talking about the day, and if there has been a day, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is, you acknowledge before God that you have sinned in your life, that you need God, and then by faith, believing in him that he, can, that he has forgiven you and that he has offered you a gift of salvation, everlasting life. By faith, you're believing in him. You're accepting that gift. And the Bible says that is how Christ now comes to live inside of you. That is what we call a relationship with Christ. Some people say, I have faith in God, but they don't understand what it means to have a relationship with God. There is a clear difference between the two. Anyone can believe in God. But true saving faith is believing that God has died for you, believing that God has forgiven you of your sins, acknowledging before God that you are a sinner and therefore in need of him. And when you accept him, it's not just because you're trying to uh, save yourself from an eternal hell, while that is part of it, but it's also because you realize 
you are so unworthy, you need Christ. It's, it's not just simply, I'm trying to get myself out of a punishment, uh, but it's saying, God, I so need you, I'm giving myself to you. You see, some, some people believe that they are Christians, but they've never truly given their life to Christ. And they don't truly have a relationship with God. So they attend church, so they read the Bible, so their family's Christian, so they were baptized at one time. But a true relationship with Christ is one that it says and knows within their heart, I've given my life to Christ, I surrendered myself to him. I know that I'm a sinner in need of him. And beyond just knowing my eternal salvation is, it will allow me to have access into heaven, I know, I know that God is real in my life. There's nothing more discouraging than asking somebody, hey, have you ever become a Christian? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ in your life? Do you know that you have a relationship with him? Someone says, oh, yes, yes, I know. I said, you do, really? Could you, could you share with me? Tell me about that time. Well, uh, I don't really remember. Um, man, I, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? You ask somebody, and they, they, can't, they can't think of it. And you can't help but wonder, as the person who's asked, do they actually have a relationship with God? You say, oh, well, that's judging. No, that's not judging. That's you as an individual, hopefully instrumentally using your earthen vessel to be a light to that individual and help them to understand what it truly means to have a relationship with God. And you may be here tonight and you say, I don't really have a relationship with Christ. There is no greater decision you can ever make in your life than giving yourself to God. And so understand uh, that when you see the world through the eyes of Christ, you're going to look at your body differently. You're going you're gonna to dress your body differently. You're going to allow a, a different kind of music to enter into your ears. You're going to let certain kinds and only uh, what, what is glorifying to Christ smells come into your, uh, into your nose. Certain kinds of tastes to come into your mouth. Um, and, and we could go right on and on down the line, markings upon your body and, 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 and all those areas. It's, it is a commitment to God to say the reason why I choose to live the way that I do in my earthen vessel, in my body. The reason why is because my body is not my own. The Bible even tells us in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, see if I can find the passage here for you. I believe it's, uh, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. The word of God says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. God says this, when you as a Christian, if you know the Lord today and you say, I have a relationship with Christ, understand this, your body is not your own. Your body does not belong to you. Your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. So what you choose to commit yourself to with your body, what you choose to do with your hands with your body, what you, where you choose to go with your feet with your body is showing how committed you are to God. With knowing that God abides and resides inside of you and the gospel has changed your life, what kind of changing effect has it had? The Bible says, by your fruit you shall know them. What, what effect has the gospel made upon your life? You know, the, the, may I just add a couple uh, things within this to understand our context even more? When we talk about commitment to God, we're talking about commitment to God's house, faithfulness to the Lord. It's unfortunate to say that for many Christians, knowing where God resides knowing that their body is not their own, yet they still choose to be unfaithful to God's house, even though their body doesn't even belong to themselves. Areas of movies being watched, Christians can sit and watch and listen to music and movies that are so full of vulgar language and, 
uh, inappropriateness. And yet, then we expect to go inside of God's house and to uh, honor and glorify God and, and to receive all God has for us when we've clouded our mind with all this garbage. But the Bible says our body's not our own. That means from your, your mind, your heart, your soul, your feet, your hands, every part of you is to be so committed to Christ that everything is Christ first. So we understand as the gospel has changed our life, it causes us to be a light. Notice he goes on to describe in verse 8. The word of God tells us, For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Now I'll stop here just for a second to, under, to help you to understand the context. He's speaking of the persecution which he was under. So as he's living the Christian life, he understands his body does not belong to him. And he's speaking to the Christians, including them within this context. He says, We are troubled on every side. He says, uh, We are facing persecution. But notice what he says, yet not distressed. Why are you not distressed? Because he knows I am an earthen vessel of the Lord. The Lord, the gospel has changed my life. I can continue to look upward. Amen. He says, I can continue to be encouraged by Christ. No matter what I go through in life, it's not going to discourage me. But yet I'm going to be encouraged by looking more to Christ. He continues. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. So he says, even when I did not know which way to turn in life, yet the gospel, the light of the gospel, so encouraged me. I had no reason to be in a place of despair, in a place of depression. I had no reason to, to feel so uh, disheartened or discouraged because I knew the only direction that I need to turn in life is towards Christ. Some people say, I, I, I'm perplexed. I just don't know what to do. Look to God, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Let him encourage you and let the gospel which has changed your life encourage you to keep your eyes upon Christ. Verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. So he's again, he's speaking concerning the gospel which is inside of his earthen vessel body, his life. He says, I know that God has not forgotten me. Sometimes you go through a discouraging time in life and you say, I just don't feel like I have anyone to talk to. I don't have anyone who's there. Let me tell you, God never forgets. Amen? God's always there. God's always present. And he's that friend that's taken closer than a brother. And so the word of God says, persecuted, but not forsaken. That is God, he knew God has not forgotten. Verse 9 continues, cast down, but not destroyed. That word cast down has the idea of being thrown down. So when he's speaking of that persecution, it's as though he's being pushed on, he's being thrown over, he's being imprisoned. Uh, all of these things, the persecution which he's facing, even though I'm being thrown down over and over and over again, yet the gospel is what encourages me to get back up and keep going. Amen? You know, no matter what you face in life, no matter what the discouraging time may be, always let yourself draw back to the light of the gospel. It's right inside of you. You see, when you look at the world through the eyes of Christ, you start seeing uh, your own body, your own life differently. You'll start letting yourself, st you'll start, stop, <laughs> to stop letting yourself uh, um, go through times of discouragement and frustration without coming back to, simply always coming back to the gospel. You think of one person who, who, who faced so much persecution in his life, Paul is, is probably right at the top of the list. And yet, the Bible tells us, cast down, but not destroyed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Perplexed, but not in despair. Troubled on every side, 
but not distressed. Why? Because the gospel is in my life. I have the gospel abiding in me. Amen? That good news of Christ, it should so encourage us to go forward. Look at verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. The Bible tells us he was always bearing, that is to say, he carried Christ's death with him. Or we might say he was dying to self. He was dying with Christ. He shared the death of Christ uh, in his own testimony, in his own life. Galatians 2 verse 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So he says, I put to death my flesh. I put to death my desires. And so now my utmost desire is Christ. He's at the forefront of my life. I've crucified myself as Christ was crucified. I share that crucifixion. I, I, I've put myself to death as Christ was put to death. This is the individual who, through the eyes of Christ, looks at their life and says, I'm sharing that death. Boy, let me say, many Christians, uh, they, they refuse to humble themselves so low to die to self. They refuse to let go. And that's the very reason why, as we just spoke about commitment, the reason why there's a resistance in committing to Christ, even though knowing that the, the abiding of the gospel is in their life, the reason why they resist is because they are unwilling to crucify themselves before the Lord. Notice verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So when death worketh in us, but life in you. So not only did he just share the death of Christ, but the Bible tells us he also shared the resurrection. He shared the resurrection with Christ. Notice as he says that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. So I put to death the old man. Now I have a new life in Christ. And the new life which I'm now living is as the new life which Christ lived when he rose up from the dead. As Christ rose from the dead, having died for all mankind, having forgiven our sins and making salvation possible. So I died to self, knowing what Christ has done for me, and now I'm going to strive to live a sinless life because of what God has made possible. Amen? What a wonderful, what an encouraging uh, testimony as he continues. Look at verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. He didn't just share his death. He didn't just share his resurrection. But now we see he's sharing of Christ's coming. He's speaking as Christ uh, was raised up into heaven. And you remember in Acts chapter 1, his disciples stood there gazing after the great commission had just been given. And they, the Holy Spirit's getting ready to fall upon them. And they're getting ready to be empowered with him. The Bible tells us, as Christ was raised and said, I will come again, so I, Paul says, so I as a Christian will also go up to be with Christ. I'll see him again. I'll be with him again. What a wonderful thing, amen? That we have that promise and knowing that we will go up to be with Christ. We share that coming. We can share that death. We can share that resurrection. But may I say, many Christians uh, allow themselves to... Uh, rather than abide, let the gospel abide in them and so change and affect the way they see they, the way they live their life, uh, they live it as they please instead. They follow the desires of their own lust. They follow the desires of their own flesh. And so God tells us 
uh, when you see the world through the eyes of Christ, number one, you'll see the abiding of his gospel. Number two, you will see the abundance of his grace. You will see the abundance of his grace. In verse 16, the word of God says, uh, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We're talking about the second point. You will see the abundance of his grace. Look as the word of God continues. And, um, and I'm, I'm out of my um, passage here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as the word of God continues, we're in chapter 4 in verse 16. Uh, the word of God says, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Um, here it is, verse 15. I knew I skipped over the verse. Notice verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound, or the word would also mean abound, to the glory of God. I'll read that again, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The Bible tells us that when you look at the world through the eyes of Christ, you'll see the abundance of his grace. First of all, before we talk about his grace, notice the very last um, reference being made in verse 15. He says, to the glory of God. Nothing ever happens in life, whether persecution or affliction or whatever it may be. Nothing happens in life without, it, without God being brought glory in the end. God is in control of all things. And all God's people said, amen. We know that without a shadow of a doubt. And everything that happens, God will be brought glory. But as he speaks in reference towards this grace, and he says more specifically in verse 15, he says the abundant grace. The abundant grace. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22 is, is really a parallel verse to verse, verse 15 and 16. As he says in verse 16, he says, The inward man is renewed day by day. What is it renewed by? By God's grace. Yes, what I've gone through in persecution for the sake of the gospel has been difficult, but the mercies of God are renewed day by day. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. He says, God is faithful. God's, God's grace renews me. It encourages me. God's grace, in fact, is all that I need. Turn a couple pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You've heard this verse before, but just bringing yet a, a further context of, of what we're talking about tonight. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Uh, the word of God says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is what? Sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, there it is again, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest in me. As God allows me to go what I'm going through to bring Him glory, so I will also glory. I will also glory in what I'm going through, even though time of difficulty, even though I don't understand, here's what never has changed and never will change, the grace of God. 
and it's given continually. It's given bountifully. It's given in great abundance. And so as I look at life, and I look at life through the eyes of Christ, I, I will be seeing my body differently, but I'll also be seeing the abundance of God's grace continually. I'll be seeing that God's grace continues, to, it, it's continued to be given to me, and that's all that I need. Amen? What a wonderful thing. And boy, let me tell you, Christian, it's a lot easier said than done to just simply be, to consider all that God has given to us, that being His grace, to be sufficient for us. The truth of the matter is, in the Christian life, we desire so much more. We live in such a get more, get more, get it now world. And yet, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is what God has helped me to understand. This is all that I need in life is God's grace. So we've seen the first thing. Of, when you look at the world through the eyes of Christ, you'll see the abiding of his gospel inside of you. Your body is a temple of God. Your body is an earthen vessel. Number two, you will see the abundance of his grace. You'll see uh, that God's grace is always freely given, and it's given so bountifully. It's all that you need in life. And notice the last thing here, and this, this really kind of puts a capstone in this whole idea. He says in verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Number three, you will see the assurance of his glory. I mentioned already to you that in everything that God does, he always has brought glory. Verse 15, he says, the redound to the glory of God. And yet, yet we see again in verse 17, the exceeding and eternal weight of his glory. Notice the particular um, scale which he's creating for us. He says, for our light affliction, that is to say it's not heavy, <laughs> is put on the scale of life in comparison to the exceeding and eternal weight of the glory of God. So when you take your petty, this is really what Paul's saying, when you take your petty afflictions, when you take your little petty things of life that you consider to be so overwhelming and so uh, 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 uncomprehendable, and you simply look at life through the eyes of Christ, you're going to look at your body differently. You're going to look at God's grace. You're going to see that it's there and you're going to see the glory of God being brought through what you're going through in life. Because you're going to come to a full comprehension that God is being brought glory through my affliction. And notice he says that light affliction, it's a momentary thing. It is so small. He says it is an exceeding and eternal. That word exceeding uh, means uh, that it gives the idea that it is a glory which surpasses anything which we can imagine it's exceeding it's it's so great it's so wonderful it says in eternal that is it outlasts everything and this is what's great i love when he says the weight of glory because he doesn't say uh, the measure he says in fact the only way you can truly somewhat measure the glory of god is to take your life and put it on a scale next to god's and here's what it's going to do God's glory is going to so outweigh yours because it's so exceeding and eternal in its weight. It, it, that's the only way in which you can measure is by the weight of it. It's so heavy. It's all that you need. It, it's, it's all that you need to, to, um, to look to Christ upon. So we understand in all that Paul's going through, he says, here's the end result. My body's not my own. God has given me my life as an earthen vessel for Christ. 
That should encourage me throughout the discouraging times. So when I am further discouraged, I can rest upon God's grace because it's sufficient for me. God's given me all that I need. And through what I'm going through, even though I don't know the answer, God's going to be brought glory through it. So instead of being discouraged in my time of affliction, I'm going to glory in my time of affliction because it's through the kind of discouragement that God's glory outweighs everything that little, light, momentary thing in my life. It still outweighs it all. In fact, when I read in God's glory, I think of it this way, that scale, it still outweighs, it just throws, it throws my little, light, individual affliction off the scale itself. That's how glorifying, that's how glorifying we should be in the time of, of affliction. And so we're brought back to the application then, and the, under, the question brought back to us, what is your response to life? When you look at life, when you look at, uh, at the world through the lenses of this, uh, of this world, do you look at it through the eyes of Christ? Or do you look at it how you would define it? Some people look at their body differently because of that's how they want to look at it. Some people look at the afflictions differently because they can't see the grace of God and, and they're so frustrated and discouraged. And, and some people refuse to give glory to God for what they're going through because they've lost sight that God is to be brought all the glory in the end. Remember the disciples when they're in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the boat and they say, Jesus, why are you sleeping? Why are you asleep? Why don't you wake up? Can't you see the affliction which you're going through? So many Christians go through that time of a life and they cry for God to take away the storm. But the true plea should be, God, I'm going to glory in the storm. I'm going to glory in, your, in the storm. Because even though I'm in the storm, your grace is still there and it's all sufficient for me. Even though I'm in the storm, my body's still an earthen vessel and I shouldn't stop what you have commanded me to do. I shouldn't stop being a light for you in the midst of this world. 